Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the second of our weekly Series 10 commentaries, continuing the countdown to the new series of Red Dwarf by wrapping up our coverage of the last one. It's week two, so brace yourself, it's time for us to talk about fathers and sons again. But first, some news, with me, Ian Symes. And some news this week is the big announcement that Red Dwarf 11 will start on Thursday the 22nd of September on Dave. Unfortunately, this big announcement was rendered null and void within hours when it emerged that both of these pieces of information were incorrect. Red Dwarf 11 will in fact start on Thursday the 15th of September on UK TV Play, with each episode debuting online a full week before broadcast. The good news is that we'll still have time to publish all these Series 10 commentaries. The bad news is pretty much everything else. Now, <clears throat> I haven't scripted this bit, so brace yourselves. Uh, I've got a lot of things to get off my chest about this. Uh, I'm quite annoyed, but mostly a bit sad, because the best thing about Series 10 was the fact that we'd waited so long, and Back to Earth as well, the fact that we waited so long for New Red Dwarf to happen in the internet era, uh, when... Red Dwarf fans all around the world and all around the country are connected to be able to go online after each episode aired and see what everyone else was saying and the fact that during Series 10 as well we were hosting the live Dwarf cast which were incredibly fun to do because tweets were coming in and comments were coming in constantly and it, it felt like a real shared event that hundreds and thousands of people wanted to go online and talk about Red Dwarf immediately and being part of that was amazing and it's gone now it's not going to happen for series 11 and i know that not everyone could join in on broadcast last time and wouldn't be able to this time i know that there's plenty of people outside of the uk that want to join in as well and also people in the uk who work shifts or have other commitments or whatever that means that they can't be in front of their telly at nine o'clock but the majority of people last time around the majority of people were able to do that and to get online afterwards and talk about it and now <laughs> like most of the uh, I think that most of the hardcore fans will not want to wait a week knowing that there's a new Red Dwarf out there so what do we do do we ignore the fact that it's online and do our normal coverage like we did last time at the pace that it's on TV so on the 22nd when Twentica first airs we do a live broadcast after it then we review it over the weekend but if we do that, half of Red Dwarf are then going to be talking about episode two because episode two will have aired online, I don't know, at some point soon after maybe the uh, the episode that's been on TV. So that's one option. The other option is to ignore the TV and do it at an online pace. And so each Thursday, starting with the 15th, we'd all watch it and say, you know, as soon as it comes online, watch it straight away. Let's treat that. This is this is something we could try. We could try and, and treat it going online as the moment of broadcast. So we all watch it then, and then af at, within an hour of it going up, we do a live thing. That might work, but then we're depending on knowing in advance what time it's going to be. It could be the same time every week, which would be great. It could be a different time. It could be completely random. 
there could be technical difficulties you know it might not be able to cope with all of us wanting to watch it immediately after it goes online and then also if we did that we'd be alienating the people that are waiting for the tv so that's the thing either way we're cutting off people that would want to join in because either we do it at the tv pace and half the fans are ahead of us or we do it at the online pace and half the fans are behind us so that's shit do we try and do something in between we could do uh the live dwarf cast on a different day we could do it later like sort of in between the two do it at an online pace but in between the two but whatever happens it's going to be impossible to make everyone happy and already if you look on gnt the comments are completely split uh, people are saying i'm definitely going to watch it on tv people are saying i'm definitely going to watch it online and the majority of people are somewhere in between and there's not going to be a solution that suits everyone uh i hate the idea of having two separate threads uh for people watching at online pace and tv place i don't know what it is it's just something about splitting people up and not being able to include everyone just doesn't sit right with me and the whole thing is just a huge shame because we won't be getting the same experience we did for series 10 and that was great and i understand i understand entirely why uk tv have done this or at least i can you know play devil's advocate and and second guess uh obviously they want to push their online presence their new on-demand platform because it's new and it's exciting and they you know they're doing things that the more mainstream better funded better viewed uh, broadcasters can do uh, it's great that uk tv have got their on-demand service and they want to push it with their biggest show i understand that but doing every episode a week in advance is just insane it's just messy it's just ah and i am one of the biggest advocates you'll find of using online new media social media whatever you want to call it alongside traditional broadcast tv because it's my job that is what i do is integrate integrate uh, digital stuff into broadcast stuff and i was expecting what i would have maybe pitched would be to do a clip each week an exclusive online clip or a scene or some sort of special preview every week after the one episode is broadcast you get the next episode's preview or maybe doing it just for the first episode would work because of people as people have pointed out the first episode is also being previewed at edinburgh and at bafta and so it's the first one do something different we could deal with that if that was online a week in advance we could say okay for this week only well, let's talk about it and then we'll talk about it some more when it goes out but you can't keep that up for seven weeks it just won't work it's just madness i think it's actually to the detriment of the broadcast because i can't see how the viewing figures are gonna hit the same heights if half the people have watched it online and also the twitter buzz isn't going to be as much and you know the online buzz and you know it's gonna be harder for red dwarf to trend it's gonna be harder for people outside of our little bubble of hardcore fans to notice it if there's not even as much noise being made of it when it's actually on the telly anyway we, <laughs> uh, i'll move back onto the script uh we are going to be um consulting you guys over the next weeks to try and figure out what we're going to do and try and come up with the best solution we're going to put it out there we're going to run you through various options and we'll be open to suggestions and we'll figure out a way to make it as good as we can but we'd rather not have to do that but never mind that's what we'll do moving on
In other some news, the proposed release of Series 1 to 5 on Blu-ray, originally scheduled for release this week according to online retailers, has been put back to this time next year, again according to online retailers. While this obviously serves as a reminder that nothing is confirmed until you see it on the official site or official social profiles, otherwise we'd be swimming in movie making gobs and Craig Charles autobiographies by now. Personally, I'm hoping that the Blu-ray releases will eventually be cancelled altogether, as they sound like a spectacularly stupid idea. Unless a huge amount of time and money is invested into creating new extras, which seems so improbable that it's virtually impossible, there is no point whatsoever in attempting to upscale footage that was shot nearly 30 years ago on one inch videotape. It would look atrocious and it would cost hundreds of pounds for the completists. Let's not, eh? Duggar said that it's to cater for the Japanese market, and look what happened when they tried that in the late 90s. And finally, Red Dwarf is the proud victor of a meaningless poll run by meaningless website Digital Spy. It is now officially the best sitcom of the 80s, beating Alo The Young Ones, Only Fools and Horses and Blackadder into a smegged hat. This is a clear indication that Red Dwarf is objectively better than all of those series, and not just that it has the most dedicated internet fanbase. Try running an online poll to find the best band out of the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Queen and One Direction, and see who wins that. And that's all the weather. And so, with three self-important sneery rants out of the way, let's crack on with the commentary for Series 10, Episode 2, Fathers and Sons. This one was recorded in the same session as Trojan, and as such, I'm once again joined by John Hoare, Danny Stevenson, and the fan club's Joe Sharples. And as usual, if you want to queue up the episode to watch alongside, press play after the pips. This commentary contains full and frank discussions of race issues with references that some listeners may find offensive and possible full frontal nudity. Hey, eight out of ten cats prefer Ganymede and Titan. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Fathers and Sons is, according to the Silver Survey, the 40th best episode of Red Dwarf. So it is uh, better than one episode from series one to six, which is Waiting for God. Uh, it, I don't think Waiting for God is the worst of series one to six, but never mind. Um, so yeah, Fathers and Sons is deemed the fourth best episode of series eight, uh, ten. <laughs> The what? Sorry, the, the, the fourth best of series. I mean, this this would be the best episode of series eight. Don't get yeah. me wrong. <laughs> I think that Fathers and Sons was on course to be one of the best episodes <laughs> of series ten, and then it gets I massively, massively derailed. Absolutely agree. There's, There's so much potential. The first half of this is just brilliant. It uses sci-fi to do clever things in a way that Red Dwarf hadn't really done for a while certainly not in series 8 by any stretch but it was kind of series 7 type things done well I was about to say this feels to me like an episode that uh, is an attempt at rescuing Ouroboros yeah <laughs> because I really hate Ouroboros and I don't really hate Fathers and Sons um, but this is kind of a bit like how I feel like Lemons, Lemons is a bit like Ticket to Ride, mm. kind of rescued. I don't mean quite rescued in Ticket to Ride, but you know what I mean. But this is, yeah, with a robberus, it was the kind of 
the wrap up to the plot and a punchline to the episode, Rimmer being his own father, uh, yeah. Lister being his own father, and then never picked up on again. Yeah, it's kind of odd that it took this long for it to be picked up on, yeah. but it's it's good that you can get a plot out of, uh, you know, a thread that had been left hanging for a few series. Yes, yes, absolutely. That there's enough source material there to pick out this little thing, and it doesn't feel like a stretch. It feels quite natural mm. yeah. to then to pick that up and explore what it means to Lister to be his own father. Even though I'm not on board with the idea in the first place <laughs> of Lister being his own father. Well, that's the thing. I never liked the idea, but mm. it almost now seems worth. Seems justified that. because yeah. it's given us fathers and sons. It's yeah. kind of interesting because it's the implication of like, well, you know, you, your dad did abandon you. Even though you're you, your dad did abandon you. Yeah. And it's like, think about it in that case, what would that mean? Yeah. You know, it's like... There is a um, a scene, uh, it's not a, quite a deleted scene, but a scene that was written and never recorded for Time Slides, which would have eradicated all of this. Mm. Which is, yes. that it's on the Body Snatcher collection, uh, Lister's father. They were going to do a thing in Time Slides where Lister's dad, real dad, was in the pub. But do you know what? Oh. Considering Red Dwarf's attitude to continuity, yeah. even if they'd done that scene, <laughs> yeah. we might still have got a Rob well, Russell yeah. there, there is the photograph of Hannah, which you can even see in this shot because it's still on his bunk. <laughs> and so, who's that a photo of? Maybe his adopted dad, or yeah. whatever. Well, oh, didn't that clip of a bit of Poppleton? What didn't that show up in a trailer? That was like the the little tag on the end of a trailer, I think. So I, it got it got I, I used didn't as like a. It at yeah. all. I it's fine within the scene. I don't like it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you but what. It else. gave me the wrong sense of the the series. Yeah. That clip. It was um, because it was in a trailer. It was uh, a clip from series ten that was included in Blake Neal's Noise from the Dwarf. Yes. <laughs> which was released before series 10 but had that bit in it and so it, it represents series 10 in there there's a few jumps of series 10 in there actually, from like... all bits from trailers yeah that's model swap. obviously that's the start of the model swap that was going to be the the credits ah, yeah. the never used. I didn't realise because that. they fucked it up <laughs> I do like this corridor set I really do so uh, I'm not going to get into the Tyrone Tony stuff yet. What yes. I will do is put in a defence of this plot strand, which I know is odd considering I usually spend most of Red Dwarf 10 slagging the show off or saying da, da, da. And it genuinely isn't that everyone, a lot of people don't like it, that I'm standing up for it. It just is coincidence that <laughs> I happen to quite like it. My defence of this plot is still what it was at the time, which is I feel there's too many repeated themes, repeated jokes, repeated ideas in Red Dwarf 10 uh, compared to previous series. And there's a, a difference between whether, whether the show is just being Red Dwarf or whether it's reusing old ideas and old jokes. And what I like about this strand is there is nothing like it mm. in, in Red Dwarf. All right, it's probably a bit hitchhikery. I'm not going to pretend it isn't. Yeah. But I like the idea of a, um, a meta version of Chinese whispers. I find amusing yeah. and fun and not a, style, not a style of comedy Red Dwarf has done before. And that's why I like this strand. Maybe you could argue this episode's too busy as it is and it shouldn't be. That's exactly episode. what I was about to say. Yeah. yeah, Maybe it's not so much the idea of doing it, it's that 
there's no need to do it when in there's so much else today. going on. Yeah. It, it probably might have given Dear Dave something. <laughs> it have shifted that whole thing. But just like dump everything that you don't like on Dear Dave. Use Dear Dave as a bum ground. To get well, rid of stuff. I'm sure we'll be doing that ourselves <laughs> yes, when we get to that. So instead, let's concentrate on how terrible Medibot is. <laughs> the worst thing is, is that I don't mind Medibot either. <laughs> this is the part where I just think maybe my brain is just being maybe dick you're just for the wrong. sake of it. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think it's the best thing in the bloody show or anything. I just, I don't really necessarily see the complete hatred. Kerry Shale is in an early episode of Sorry, though. That is your fact about Kerry Shale. He plays a teenager in a first first series That's episode nice. of Sorry. He's also the boss of Bobbit in um, Medieval the Gumball. Doug's uh, obsession with tough love. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? <laughs> And actually, it is one of my one of the better jokes in series seven. Does that involve dressing up? <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I just this is quite weird, isn't it? Pacey and kind of a different kind of um. Very yeah, very feel. short. And it, to be yeah. honest, it it does work better than the let's just start an episode with a long bunkroom scene that doesn't really seem to be as frankly, as well-written as we they used to manage. Yeah. So weird mentioning Holly and not having them. <laughs> it just seems really weird. Not having him or her. Or now, the thing that bugs me here, and maybe I just don't know my colours, they do... Rimmer does ask for Pree to be blonde, doesn't he? And then Pree is not blonde. Rebecca Blackstone is blonde. I think... Her hair is sl- just slicked back, so her hair actually is blonde. Yeah. It's just slicked back. It's just slicked back and with product in it, so you can't see that it's blonde. But it's similar to Hattie in Whitehall having that same thing of not. Mm. It's like her hair but looks darker. It's not like it's, kind of it's not like Holly wet, peroxide basically. blonde. No, it's blonde. Oh, there's a thing as well, isn't there? About right towards the end, and it's kind of it's a line that's kind of hidden under a laugh, but. Crichton says something along the lines of, oh, I'll just load the default settings or something. Mm. So I think technically all of this stuff is frivolous. <laughs> yeah. I completely missed this last joke here on the first watching of it. The one where... Where he's going on, he's obsessed about what size <laughs> boobs she's got and then when he asks what yes! frame she want, he wants... He doesn't care. He doesn't care, so he goes for a close-up. I, I didn't know, I only... I think I might have only got this joke on the rewatch I did whilst preparing <laughs> for this. Because, no, yeah, yeah he's, he's room chosen. space. Yeah. You're right, her hair does look brunette, <laughs> but it's just IRL, blonde. it's blonde. Yeah, <laughs> it's just dark blonde. I, I do struggle to think of a guest performance I love as much as Rebecca Blackstone's in almost any episode of Red Dwarf. She is she's so good. Phenomenal. She's really good. But she did this did this like there on the night as well. Yeah. She did it live. Yeah. And we didn't we assumed from watching it that it was a pre record. Yeah. Because it was so well done. It it felt like she was like frozen and then she got and someone pressed play and then her line started. Yeah. And it wasn't until someone, not her, someone cocked up and she broke character <laughs> that we realised, oh, yeah. she's actually here. Yeah. And how delightful of the production to actually do that live like that, because they could have mm. pre-recorded it all in a day yeah. and played it in. But then that's the thing, like they always did Holly 
live. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, why yeah, would you yeah. not do pre-live? It's for timing and for because it's yeah. a comedy performance. The thing about the another aspect of Rebecca's performance, which is so good, is that you don't really think of it as a comedic performance because it's so impressive on a technical level. Yeah. But on top of that, you she's got great timing as well yeah. and great you know choices made in the um you know a delivery and a cadence. I I want her to be more famous. Yeah. I really <laughs> I feel very I know it's pathetic I feel weirdly almost protective over it I really kind of <laughs> not genuinely not creepy I just kind of I want yeah. her to be no I just I think she's so amazing <laughs> she is she's so good she's alright I suppose okay a JMC uh, traffic cone <laughs> but a Tesco shopping trolley <laughs> quite clearly <laughs> Well, there was a it's Tesco better than Tesco muffins. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, there must be a Tesco machine. So. That's true. Yeah. There, yeah, there would have been a Tesco franchise. Have we come to any conclusion yet as to whether this whole sequence, which is amazing, is pre-helping him, or whether he guessed it all? I think you can. I think there's a satisfying middle ground to be found, in that um, I think. Pre would have helped him in terms of like where to put the breaks and stuff and where to put the pauses and to help predict exactly when Lister Junior, let's call him, would skip on, would skip on mm-hmm. and what the incentive should be and stuff like that. But the actual, the things that he says is all Lister. Yeah. It's all him doing it. So on an emotional level, Lister knows what to do, but on a technical level, Pre knows what to yes. do. And he needs her to give him a kind of running order for the video so I'm, I'm i'm i really didn't want to feel like this when i rewatched it but i'm horrifically hard line on this sequence <laughs> if if he gets it if he if he knows himself well enough to get it all right that's amazing and character driven and brilliant and if pre helped him suddenly does nothing for me because then it's just a plot it's the scientific plot of the week helping him yeah, and but I, no. I feel, and I wish I didn't feel like that because it's such an amazing scene. I think I don't think there's anything wrong with him needing to use a plot device in order to help him on an emotional level. Mm. I think what he got from Pre was um, these are the points at which Lister will cut out, and so this is all. This, none of it's scripted by Pre. Yeah. Pre's not telling him no, what to say. Yeah. The words are and his. so the message that's getting through to Lister is him knowing himself so well. But it's just, yeah, Pre helped him with the prediction side of things. Like I say, she produced a running order type thing. So but isn't it the pre- well? No, I don't want to tell anyone how to interpret it. But for me, it's the predictions that make it so personal and so. Mm. It's like. To me, the reason why I find it so funny is because he he got everything. This isn't so. The more specific it gets, the yeah. funnier it gets, because he knows himself so well. I don't know. I'm, I'm I do know what you're saying, but I and I get that some people would find it too much of a stretch, but I just I don't know. I I get a bit frustrated because it's it's such a good scene, and I. I kind of wish I liked it. I don't know. I, I like it less. I like it less with each, with each argument in that direction. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we're making a mistake of thinking about it too much. 
<laughs> on a dog. I totally enjoy this scene for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. I, re- I think it's a really well-crafted thing. And especially considering Craig Charles was so full of flu, he didn't really know what he was doing. <laughs> and having to drink warm apple juice. Yeah. It's uh, I like this. It's a really good... This is a great visual character. Yeah. This is an absolute uh, surprise. <laughs> you still and note that the cutaway of the guitar makes us complicit. Yeah. In the yeah. in the gag as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, we, we yeah. Yeah, we know that it's still there. Yeah. We think we know that it's still there. And we're being fooled as well as Lister. That. It's a perfect <laughs> angle as well. You could have shot that entirely wrong and made it too obvious. Yeah. yeah. It's so just, perfectly placed. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Is that it's the kind of visual guy that reminds me of you know in the bit in Father Ted where Dougal walks the wrong side of the door yeah. and ends up just being behind the door yeah, rather yeah, than yeah, through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You can watch that a million times and it's you still get a laugh out of it because it's just so well it's executed. It's such a weird joke because it only re- requires such a strange angle for it to work. Yeah, yeah. It's a good. It's it's, it's so comedy good. in the direction. Yeah. Oh, I break. <laughs> you bastard. Um, have we talked much about whether we think Pre riffs off slightly too much of Cassandra? Um, <sighs> I'm kind of loath to do that because I think this is done better. It is. So there doesn't almost seem to be any as much room for complaint there. If, if you take something you've done before in a slightly different way but do it better... That's maybe think, that's that's a far better situation than if you take something you've done before and do it worse. Yeah, <laughs> which is what I sometimes complain about. I think that it's different enough in the way, like it's the concept is a computer that can predict the future, but the application of what they do with it makes it so completely different is to make that irrelevant. I think mm-hmm. because in Cassandra they do it to do a. Um, can you be a predetermined fate story? Yeah, and in this they do it as a. How would, how would that affect your day to day life? Way it's a behavioural thing which actually can change. Mm. I think that the way the pre works in terms of the precognitive thing is not about predicting the future. It's more predicting, but it's based on past behaviours that make, yeah. that makes her predict what's going to happen. Am I being stupid? Does everyone is pre pre precognitive? Then is that? Where that name comes I from? Think so. Well, just pre. Because I, I never in. thought about that, but I presume that well, is what it pre is. Well, pre just means before. before. Yes, it does. So she know. knows what's going to happen I never, before. I didn't even. I'm so yeah. stupid. This is, why, <laughs> this is why you shouldn't listen to me about before. Because <laughs> I didn't that, even get that. Just pre. Until just yeah, now. Just pre I'm an this, idiot. Pre that. It's just yeah. I'm pre a nothing. dick. Ignore me. I literally didn't understand that till just now. I like the way they have, um, in because Red Dwarf is set in the future. They have um, TV screens or monitors that are um, portrait. Yeah. <laughs> because so many pricks use their mobile phones incorrectly <laughs> that it's now becoming the norm. You don't <laughs> literally. Get few, you get a few portrait monitors in series six, don't you? As I recall. Maybe. You've got that one, you know, where Lister, uh, where Rimmer's being revived, and yes. there's the shot of that's the portrait. That's a portrait mm. monitor. Oh yeah, yes. sure is. That might be the first portrait monitor in Red Dwarf. Yeah. That is a fact. <laughs> that is a pub quiz fact. We that red dwarf started it all. That's the, the thing <laughs> called video syndrome was started by red dwarf. It's official. 
Taiwan's a bit Chinesey. Oh, See, I would argue that that line shows that Doug knows what he's doing because the whole thing like is showing yeah. the racism yeah. of the characters. Taiwan Tony. But then. that's the problem they have is those characters, those characters wouldn't be racist at this point in the future. Like they've, been, they've already talked about this in documentaries that that's not the case that they wouldn't do that because yeah. it, that everything is so it's almost utopian in the, in, the, in the respect that everyone is like it's, it's so far removed away from a problem in society that it's no longer an issue. But I've never seen Red Dwarf as a particularly utopian. No, 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 I, I see Red Dwarf's universe in the same way I see Futurama's universe, which is neither a utopia or a dystopia. Yeah. In which case, you've still got some things that are. It just, it just, I just think it's a subject that never needed to be brought up. Yeah. It just, it, that just feels like a that's necessary. the thing. I think that's what, race it doesn't need being to be a problem kind of in the Red Dwarf ever. universe. Just, yeah. But you do throughout the history of Red Dwarf, there is still national stereotypes and there's still national identity throughout red dwarf because being death is like being on holiday with a group yeah. of germans yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, uh, all his mates were french mm. <laughs> things like I that mean, which none the, of us have an issue with. that is true although of course <clears throat> arguing against my own thing here parody asian accent um arguing against my own thing here of course there's a far different thing with uh, racial stereotypes about white europeans yes I That's think a thing. with Taiwan mm-hmm. Tony, the line Taiwan is a bit Chinesey, and the concept, the concept, I don't necessarily have a problem with. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it's right for this episode, and I don't think it's funny. Mm-hmm. But the concept of uh, we want like asking a Chinese e person whether Chinese whiskers is whispers is racist <laughs> is. I, I get why that's funny. I get that it's inappropriate to ask this inappropriate thing. Yes. But the problem and where that falls down is entirely in the performance and the implementation of Taiwan Tony. The fact that it's such an outrageous stereotype to the extent that you can't actually make out what the fuck is saying ta- strips away all those subtleties and it makes it a haha, let's laugh at this Chinese accent well, joke. You see, my the argument I always had was that there's something I find fundamentally amusing about a racist vending machine talking <laughs> about racism. That's how I describe it. That, that I find that idea funny. The I think, other thing yeah. I'd say is, and it, this is also depends on how you view the JMC universe, I totally buy that JMC would make that vending machine and think it's a funny idea. I think it's a cheap, tatty vending machine with one joke that JMC say, oh, this all has a bit of levity to things. And it's, I buy that JMC is like that. But we've had discussions before about how evil or not evil we think JMC mm. are. And I think it all links back into that. What do we think of JMC as a company? Would they think that was a good idea? Maybe. Or would they not? This whole thing would have been better if you never saw Toe and Tony. Maybe it works as a abstract concept of a racist stereotype as a racist vending machine talking about racism. Maybe as soon as you actually then have to implement what is an offensive stereotype, maybe it's not worth doing it. There is, you see, this is always the, I mean, it's horrible to and say, when you you're, get... you're, you're, back, you're back to the old discussion about, um, it's not quite the same thing because you're talking about old sitcoms, but when you're um, portraying Alf Garnet as racist and, racist and you're having him use racist terms mm. and it's 
always the discussion about well do you have him use those terms and is the offence those terms cause worth the candle mm. in terms of if you're talking about it and using it in a certain way is there a point to using them and so I suppose the point is are you getting enough comedy and enough a point out of this yeah. I think the problem is I'm automatically biased towards this plot line because I'm so anti a lot of Red Dwarf 10 when it comes to reusing jokes mm. that when I see something that is new and is something they've never done before and a plot line that I really really enjoy I've gone into it automatically having very good thoughts whereas everyone else has gone into the plot line automatically having bad thoughts yeah. and then you hit and then the time this Tony stuff and I think that's probably the essential problem we have I'm already well disposed to the plot yeah whereas most people aren't and I think that's probably where it will where we end up moving think, moving back a second to the point that you were making about um oh fuck it's been so long <laughs> uh you said ah go on carry on i'll come back uh i was just gonna say if it was because it's obviously it's the voice it's kerry shale and yeah. we know we know obviously that it's kerry shale doing the voice it was kerry shale in person being a chinese person Taiwan Tony, then that is there's no. It's and also that arguing that against well. myself. What what would I be saying if it was um, a, a, a black guy's accent? Yeah. Hmm. So I understand there are issues. Don't get me wrong. You've reminded me of the thing that I was going to say. <laughs> so shut the fuck up while it's in my head. <laughs> it is. Oh god, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, when you do when you use things that are potentially offensive. Yeah whether that be Alf Garnet or whether yeah. that be this or any of the millions of things in between over the years, yeah. you have to be extremely clear of what your intentions are and what the target of the joke is. Yes. Mm. With Till Death Do Us Part, if it's Alf Garnet, then the audience isn't supposed to sympathise with him. It's supposed no. to be there to show up how ridiculous his views are yeah. and thus that these views are wrong. With this... <laughs> I think the implementation and the characterization is so poor that there is nothing there that's making a, a point that justifies having that accent. I think the, the yeah, I mean the the point. If we're really going to get into it, don't forget that the point to me is not necessarily that it's saying anything about racism. I don't think it is saying anything about racism per se. Mm. It's more the concept of it linking in with the whole meta thing. So you've got a Chinese whispers game about Chinese whispers and yeah. you've got racist vending machines talking about racism and it's it's the yeah. same thing. That's uh, what I, I find think... funny. I don't think it's making a point about racism. I think it is using it to do something else. So the argument is, 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 is the joke worth the candle? Yeah. Is it and I think, yeah... I think all of that would be fine if that was what I took away from watching it. Yeah. But it's not. It's that voice is horrendous. Is what I get. Is what I take away from watching it. Mm. But even if it wasn't that, even if it was a lot more subtle and a lot more well done, and I did take away that point, there's still no point of having it in this episode. It is because, a bit busy. It is because busy. we've got all the stuff about Lister being his own dad. And Lister's development of uh, re-enrolling for 
uh, training schemes and trying to better himself. And you've got pre, you've got a computer on board that can predict the future and all the things that that happens. And all this subtle stuff that we've been talking over with, is pre evil or is she just trying to do her job or is it somewhere in between? Because she seems to be taking uh, a certain level of satisfaction from watching all of this go wrong and watching them in danger. Yes, yes. But I think it's just her being satisfied with, ah, yes, I predicted this. This is what needs to happen. It's her being being efficient. I think so, yeah. I think so. I don't think she's a baddie. She's just doing things that she thinks are correct. Think, yeah, obviously it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not pre-calculated. It's not. It's, it's yeah. The only the only problem I've got is that line where she says about it's going to take ninety years, and then she goes, "Oh, did I say ninety years? I meant ninety minutes." Because yeah. she wouldn't make that. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's her enjoying it a bit too. Much. Yeah. Bit um, of inconsistent, right? I like the sort of. Yeah. I like the little tilt of her head when she kind of doesn't really understand what Lister's talking about. So she's like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> Like that kind of thing. I do like that. So she's got there's some little nuances in Priest's face in, in Rebecca's face where there's just little nuances where you feel that she's enjoying it a little bit too much what she's doing mm. with everyone. So yeah, the, the three. But then yeah, like obviously it's Operation coming Sizzle, up in a minute. Like, Operation Sizzle. Then it's a very tiny yeah. little smile. It's, it's almost it's, little it's, it's like very raised eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Smile as well. It's very sort of like oh wow that's not that's unnerving. This I, sequence is, it long, work, is poor. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating because it's <coughs> a nice idea, but it goes on too long, and it's not particularly convincing, and physically the movements aren't right either. It feels very rushed, and I don't like this that slow... That, what, it just, what was that? That, that was so listed. It was meant to be... Obviously, I imagine the, the, the stuff around was meant to be moving quicker, so it was obvious that it was thinking and everything slowed down for Lister at that point. But because nothing else is really going on, it just looked like it a really weird frame drop. Odd, yeah. It is worth pointing out, although I'm not saying it particularly works, that they do drag in the Taiwan Tony stuff at the end here and tie it in. But that's the yeah. whole idea. That, well, that, and that I think that's what they're going for. They're going, I think, for these two plot lines. They're then the third unrelated one that you think isn't anything to do with it. Suddenly becomes part of the main plot and we're supposed to feel very satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. Whether that comes off, it's I a think, of opinion. Uh, yeah, I think it depends on how you feel about <laughs> all those three elements. And I, I think and I'd you're... like it a lot more if I didn't think this bit was shit. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, this is just a shame, really, that yeah. it all sort of culminates in quite a mm. anticlimactic way. I, I remember, I think I remember thinking at the time, I remember thinking, oh, they'll probably reshoot this. <laughs> nope. And they didn't. Well, I mean, they didn't have time. They didn't have time. And I don't think this scene is a good end either. It's, it's arguably the weakest final scene as well in the, uh, in the series. I'm extremely intrigued by the uh, framed photograph of Lister that Crichton carries in and delivers. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely arsehole version of... Yeah. It's a still from the, the video, video, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's there to remind him of his motivation for doing stuff or something. But then he also brings in a video game, and so that doesn't. Well, because the dad's always whenever he, uh, yes, yeah. maybe yeah, maybe he just wants a picture of his dad, and so that's the like, only way he can get hold of that is when he's absolutely yeah. Ratted, so. Can I get something clarified here? Is that a spelling mistake on Rebecca? Yeah, it is, yeah. And they didn't fix it for the DVD. No. Uh, no. Or for any future showings? No, I think the reason that they wouldn't have been fixed for the DVD slash Blu-ray is because 
by the time it was broadcast and the mistake was pointed out, it would have already been in for authoring because yeah. it was released so quickly afterwards. Yeah. Is Michaela Ralph's name spelled wrong as well? I think it looks like it. Looks oh, like is it? Hate, really. So what we need to do is catch an episode of this on Dave and check whether they fixed it because they really should have done. Do you want to place a bet? <laughs> I <laughs> would bet because they I, have not fixed because it. Because <laughs> I work on a certain family of channels that I can't really talk about and we get Babe Station. We get we get corrections for credits all the time. Mm. All the time we'll get a version a of the channel yeah. fixed. Version mm. two, version three. Sometimes a version five that becomes a version six because they're fixed a credit. Yeah. But this is not something that does not happen. Yeah. <laughs> so be really they really should have fixed it. Yeah, fixed it. The um I just wanted to go back to the pre thing. Um, in terms of like what her motivation is and mm-hmm. and whether she's enjoying it and etc. Um, at the end, where Lister explains everything to her and and then gets her to switch herself off, she's not upset by that. No, she just says your logic is faultless and turns That's herself true. off. She yeah, she's not motivated by self preservation at all. She no. doesn't care about she's herself. Like, this is my mission. Yeah, and. This is the yeah. logical outcome just, of it's that. It's just dodgy programming. If my yeah, if yeah. my job requires me to turn myself off, then that is what I must do. Mm. But there yeah. is a bit of an evil glint. In her, right? Well, that well that could be just that could be just a bug in the system. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's like it's not something that like she's consciously aware mm. of. It's something that's just hardwired into the fact that having this knowledge is not necessarily a good yeah. thing and can lead you down the path you're not meant to go. Because from her point of view, so. she's doing what she's supposed to do. Yeah. Like if there's a if there's a, even a like a tiny part of AI in her, yeah, yeah. then she's going to enjoy that. Come what may. Come yeah. what may, because yeah. she's doing what she's been built exactly. to do. So. But isn't it great that there is this ambiguity in this grey area, rather than it just being yeah. straight up? Because yeah. the idea, the idea of like, mm-hmm. well, the thing is, it's like you, it, it's almost like the lesson of you can't base future behaviours on past behaviours because that doesn't always work. Although you know history repeats itself apparently. But the idea of like past behaviours repeating themselves as like a, a, a common pattern is, you know, I mean, I think they, they, they do use this stuff in, in, in like companies and stuff to find faults within a business by using what's happened so far and work out wh- when it will happen again mm-hmm. and then to try and eliminate that. So there's, a, there's but that, that might work and that might not work. But that's the thing is it's like it's tried and tested. There's a reason why pre's not been installed on a system. Hmm. You know, it's like oh, we just installed a new computer. It's like, well, you know, where did it come from? We assume it's the Trojan, obviously, because that's yeah. the base of the whole thing. But because I remember the plot about it was meant to be that plot that I remember when Jez did the Coffee Lounge Cock fucking years ago <laughs> during one of the DJs, and he had one of the plots uh, which, which Doug told him, which was uh, they found like uh, three million years worth of computer upgrades in mm. the ship. It was meant to be in the ship or on another ship. I can't remember where they mentioned it was like in the. Or it had caught up with. Oh, them. Caught yeah. With them. yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. I think it was. Yeah, it was like a pod, like a post pod with all this stuff in it, and it always used to intrigue me the idea of like, and I remember seeing pre and thinking, "All oh, right, maybe that's what the idea was." Is like mm. sort of like Holly three point or whatever it was. You know, it was like. Um, yeah, yeah. I have no, no problem with things like that happening because, like, if we're What's assuming, up? like you say, we're assuming that they've turned around and they're heading back. Yeah. Towards mm. civilization, mm. Oh, yeah. then if, things start yeah. catching up with If them. a post pod was able to catch up with them in series two, yeah. then well, of course that's it's the, the thing. That is that the is thing. thing. <laughs> it messed me up big time. Yeah. When, I, when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, actually, oh, that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're going to get funny about it, we could argue that three million years they shouldn't have done. 
They <laughs> yeah. shouldn't have done three million. It's it's but, meant to be just so ridiculous a number that it's like you can't even process it. It's like yeah. ten thousand years is something that where you could see a major difference in the species, but a million years is like it's explained in the books that you know mm. a genus doesn't last more than ten thousand years. And anyway, that's with so. your clean living species like a dinosaur. Exactly, yeah. you know, uh, ten thousand max, and then it's like, and then you get three million. There's chances of your species hitting the big three oh 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 oh. They're unheard of. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting plot. I I do I like I, I, do, I, do, I, do, I do love Peter. She's a very strong character. I know. I I, I I do weirdly think of it as Queeg Whitehall and Fathers and Sons, and I know part of that's the visuals. No, and I know it's not, but it's. She it's, is such a Holly. She's Holly three point oh in my mind. Yeah. and they're the they're the three episodes that are. The Holly episodes. AI centric. Yeah. Mm. yeah. On Red Dwarf. Mm. Well, Hattie said when you interviewed her, she said that she saw this episode and was like, oh, like, you know, they've got a new Holly, and then saw her and she was like, oh, she'd be brilliant. Oh, yeah. she's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd be happy for her to play Holly. <laughs> I really yeah. would. Yeah. Yeah, we've rebooted Holly. We've used bits of the pre program and uh, like Jerry rigged them up with the bits of Holly that are working <laughs> and so now we've got Holly's personality and it looks like Preek <laughs> I always thought actually when they said all we do is Holly and then they installed this new system it'd be, I, I always thought as an arc it would have been nice if the new AI slowly corrupted as the a series went on so it started <laughs> off fine and then started to slowly do things <laughs> to the crew to, uh, yeah. Towards the end of the series, started then, dropping in dudes. And then the big bad is the is the AI in episode six, and you have to get rid of it. See, I agree, but that way lies back in the red part one, two, three, four, five, and six. If you're not careful. No, I think, <laughs> I think it's one of those things where it's done in the background, and it's not something that you ultimately notice until you get to episode yeah, six. Yeah, so it's... introduce a new regular character and have them turn out to be you think slowly it's fine? evil. Altered. Yeah. And then it's mm. just every now and then just mm. a little snippet of something to say. Well, it would just be nice for them to introduce new a new guest character they didn't just kill off, frankly. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, it's uh we'll get to this in four weeks' time. But um <laughs> Hoagie the Rogie is still out there. Yeah. I, I like the way that Hoagie the Rogie was written so that it it was as if when Ogie the Rogi appears in the beginning, it's as if it's like the fifth or sixth time he's yeah. appeared, but it's yeah. actually the first. You get the impression that he nips in and out. Of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we probably shouldn't get onto that because then we'll have nothing to talk about in four yeah. weeks. I mean, to be fair, it's it's nice that you. It's nice for the episodes that we are actually saying, oh, well, I'd like to see more of them. Yeah. We're never. We're not saying, oh, yeah. thank God. Um, and <laughs> the thing thank is, God. though, if they did start like bringing back characters from series 10 in series 11 and 12 we'd be going oh come on come on for some new ideas <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we, 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 yeah, we, we could have said that about Dwayne Dibley yeah. I don't think we ever said that about Dwayne Dibley no <laughs> I'd like oh, to see more Dwayne Dibley back, yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe it's for the best actually is this the first is Red Dwarf 10 the first series since when that they haven't mentioned Dwayne Dibley because <laughs> did they mention Dwayne Dibley in Back to Earth or was he uh no, but it was the Despair Squid, but it wasn't mentioned. Uh, to be fair to it, I don't think Dwayne Dibley was mentioned in Series 7. No, you're right. He yeah, was in Can't Smeg, Won't Smeg. I agree. <laughs> oh, well, Can't Smeg, Won't Smeg is canon, as far <laughs> yeah. as I'm concerned. That's Series 7.5. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, 
Anyway, Fathers <laughs> and Sons. Uh, I wrote the review for Fathers and Sons uh, on the 12th of October, 2012. And I said... I can't fully love this episode, but I want to make it clear that I do like it. It makes me laugh a lot. I adore the concept. I admire how well the two main plots fit together so well, and the double lister scene is perhaps the most inventive and unpredictable sequence we've seen in Red Dwarf since 1993. At its best, Fathers and Sons holds its own against the impenetrable bubble of perfection I've built around the first 36 episodes, but its worst elements, the Medibots and Taiwan Tony, belong in the same bin as Dancing Blue Midgets, The Data Doctor and Crichton's <laughs> Penis. Put simply, Fathers and Sons needed its big fat butt kicking at times. It could have been so much more, and it knows it. And it definitely could have done with a bit of Dougie discipline. I remember being very pleased with myself that I'd come up with that. And, yeah. and the conclusion is that four years on, I've said pretty much the same things. In yeah, I think perhaps I'm not as angry about the Medibox anymore. But I am increasingly angry about, <laughs> angry is probably the wrong word, but bothered by Taiwan Tony, yeah. simply because I've been talking about it for four years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, no, you see, this is the other thing, that I laughed so much at that when I saw it at the recording, and now I hate it purely because I'm bored yeah. of that discussion. Um, however, I do think this broadcast is the closest we've come to to reconciling Did, yeah. where the two opposing sides come from. When I say two opposing sides, I mean me and everyone else in the world. (laughs) But no, it's not just you. There were plenty of people I remember at the time who didn't see that there was any even contention around there. Uh, It hadn't occurred to them that there would be anything. I am, I am, I am, I think the problem as well is that I, I, there is a, I don't quite want to say, there's such a, such a big part of me and such a big part of my brain is based around comedy that when I laugh that hard at something, um, I can, and if there's evidence peppered throughout the Dwarfcast, I get very protective over that laugh. Mm. And I get very protective over the experience I had when I had that laugh, and it's a very important part of me. Um, and I liked that so much that I think I did go slightly overboard when... I don't know whether I ever did a post that said, I don't think there's anything wrong with this ever. <laughs> but certainly I see there are problems. Yeah. Um, and I think there are, I can see there are arguments why you wouldn't want to do it. Um, which I think is the closest we come to. Like just as, you, just as you say, you weren't that keen on the plot, but if you can imagine that plot working in another episode. Yeah. Yeah, with tweaked, very yeah. much tweaked, and very much bits of it completely changed. But yeah, it's interesting you say like your perspective as a comedy fan. Yeah. The the dichotomy for me as a comedy fan is that I am completely against any kind of restraint or censorship. Um, when it comes to you can't say there's no such thing as you can't do that. Mm-hmm. I would never say that you can't have a Chinese stereotype yeah. in a comedy show because there might be. As you know, it goes back to the point I was making about context and about the target and about the reason for doing it. There can you can justify anything, yeah. but it has to be justified and it has to be earned. The, you see, this is you start getting down to unfortunate brass tacks when it comes to comedy in terms of the whole concept of punching up, mm. which I fully yeah. admire and accept that we should be punching up and not punching down. 
unfortunately, punching down can be very funny. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think David Benio's touched on this, yeah. actually. Um, and there's a line I've always stuck with me in um, TV Offal, in one of the It's Nice songs, and um, it's about Derwinton and Dirty Dirty Dirty. And one of the lines that is funny for me in context is, um, but Dell's missing a vital chromosome. That's a really nasty homophobic joke. In the context of that song and the way it's put together, I find it very, very funny. And what I'm always slightly wary of, and I'm not accusing anyone else of doing this, and certainly not in this room, but what I'm always personally wary of is I don't want to do the thing where I'm policing my own reaction to the joke yeah. before having the reaction to the joke. Yeah. And... There are things that would... are, are there are things that are possibly not justifiable. I'm not actually necessarily t- saying Tyrone Tony is one of these. I think you could argue it's justifiable, but there are things in comedy that are not especially justifiable that I've been on the floor laughing at, and I can't deny that. I can't mm. pretend that hasn't happened or pretend that's not part of me. Well, it would it would be closed minded to to say that you know I. You cannot find this funny. This is not funny. The, you know, comedy is always subjective. Um, it's just what you, you personally feel comfortable with. But when it comes to creating something and broadcasting it and putting it on TV, I don't know what point I'm trying to make, really. No, the, the, the point is, is that it's really difficult. Yeah. And it's very subjective. And I wouldn't want to go too far down the route that I've just described or there would be some highly unpleasant material on screen that I wouldn't or couldn't justify. But I think, yeah, the fact that we are still talking about it after four years and there's there's no conclusion to be drawn just adds to my theory that just get rid of it. (laughs) Just don't bother because it's not worth it. I I think I would be less, far less protective of it if... I didn't feel other aspects of the series were too close to reusing ideas and especially jokes. I've got a real problem with Red Dwarf 10 throughout the series reusing jokes that were done better the first time around. And if it wasn't doing that, I wouldn't be so protective of this strand. What I don't like is that Red Dwarf has done something new and something different that it's not done before. And then, when I say I don't like, I, I don't mean people can't have their opinion, but but I feel slightly protective of it because, all right, maybe the Taiwan Tony stuff may or may not be appropriate, but I really want to see Red Dwarf doing things it's not done before. Yeah. And that's why I'm so protective even of that strand. Well, I mean, I, I even if you forget the Taiwan Tony stuff, the idea... Forget you could even get rid of the Tyrone and Tony stuff entirely. The idea of a Chinese whispers being played by vending machines and a meta version of Chinese whispers makes me laugh. You wouldn't even need to have Tyrone and Tony as part of that. Yeah. The idea, the idea that you're doing a meta version of Chinese whispers, asking what Chinese whispers is, and it getting garbled along the way. That I find that a really, really funny, strong idea that Red Dwarf's never done before. I think that's I think that's part of it. I think that's what it is is the fact that that, that Tyrone Tony as a as a character just didn't need to be part of that. Yeah, it didn't need to be there in order to gen- to, to to justify that joke. That joke could have worked without it. 
it, yeah, it's, I, I feel I feel it would have done. It would have worked without it. But it's just that's that's now part of it, and it's kind of just an unfortunate little hurdle you've got to kind of get through to. But it does have that um, a parallel, doesn't it, where you've got the meta version of the Chinese whispers jokes, and then you've got the meta version of racist vending machines discussing racism. And I like the way that meshes together. I like the way it parallels in one plot. But if that's obvious, then that's that's fine. But it wasn't obvious when we when when and that to me wasn't obvious that that was what the joke was. I, and I think that's the really difficult thing. And that's I, 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 I cannot I cannot one hundred the. the I have a real problem, almost stepping in myself in this regard, which is, I, I think that's what I was laughing at, mm-hmm. but it took me quite a while to get to how I could describe that. And actually, ironically, it was I think I arrived on it about the same day that Andrew Ellard posted what I've just said yeah. as an explanation. Yeah. Um, I and do I remember was, that I was, was a big thing at the time. I was absolutely paranoid that people would think that I was justifying. In fact, I had to come up with it before I read what Andrew said, but I was paranoid that people were going to think that I had grabbed hold of that and was using it to justify um, what I was thinking. Now, my brain tells me that what I was laughing at is what I've just said, but I was finding it difficult to, to articulate, to articulate it. Um can't I can't promise you there's no way I can promise you what my why I laughed and what my gut feeling was I can say I think it was that but it gets very blurred and it gets very motivated hey maybe my brain laughed at the uh, chinky accent could have been that I'd just been thinking there might have been a way to resolve all of this much quicker if they'd have done it a bit differently in terms of characterization. So they're they're talking about this um this Taiwanese vending machine Taiwan Tony, who serves Taiwanese food and mm-hmm. would know everything about it because Taiwan is a bit Chinesey. Let's go and ask him about it. They go up to the vending machine. They ask him, "Are Chinese is Chinese whiskers racist?" And he goes, "Sure, I would know. I'm from Donegal." <laughs> yeah. 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 Or that, equivalent. That, I don't know, yeah. mate. I'm from yeah. London. Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But does that only work because we've already had the Tyrone Tony controversy? Yes. <laughs> so I think on that note... Just before we end, and to lighten the mood very slightly, while you guys have been talking, I've been staring at the menu screen. If you look <laughs> to the left of the left ha- monitor, I've it's a this. cock and ball. No, oh, so yeah. <laughs> so there is. Yes. And it's mirrored on the other side as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I couldn't see that one because Ian's head was in the way. Yeah. But... Uh, do you know what? I'm not joking. I nearly mentioned that on the uh, Trojan one, but I didn't. Because I thought, I didn't want I didn't want people... Because I hate when I spot someone and people go, oh, for fuck's sake, I can't see it now. And, yeah, I've been staring at that for the last five minutes. Well, there's, there's a little bonus for anyone who, like us, has been watching the episode while listening to the commentary and has now been staring at the menu for the last 20 minutes. There you go. Some free cock and balls for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, with that image, <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. And from me, Ian, John, Danny, and Joe, it's Ed by everybody. Ed by. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.